My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion, The Visitor, The Encounter, The Message, The Predator, The Capture, The Stranger, The end, The Secret, The Android, The Forgotten, The Reaction, The Chain, The Unknown, The Escape, The Warning, The Decision, The Spell, The Departure, The Simple Discovery, The Proposal, Threat, The Mutation, Conspiracy, The Resolution, The Deception, The Suspicious Resistance, The Unexpected Sacrifice, The Diversion, The Beginning. Discovery. So what did we read this week? We read The Discovery. It was very exciting. Gray seems neutral on the subject. I have thoughts. Yeah, that's good. That's what this is for, sharing thoughts. (laughs) Do you want to tell us what happens in The Discovery, Jenny? Sure. Okay, so in The Discovery, Marco's at school and uh, sees the blue box. Some kid is holding it. It's the morphing cube, the one Elfinger used to give them morphing powers. He's like, what the crap, and goes and talks to the kid. And it's this new guy named David. And David's like, yeah, I found this box. It's just like sitting in a wall at a construction site. And Marco's like, can I buy it? And David's like, no. (laughs) Uh, So they decide to go steal the box from David's room. It's a complete disaster. It's Marco, Rachel, and Tobias. And Marco just messes everything up. So they end up getting chased out of the house with uh, David using a BB gun on them. And they're like, okay, we'll try again the next day. But the next day, David's like, hey, Marco, you're the only guy I know here. I put the box online. And there's some interest. So there's a guy who's going to come buy it today. And Marco's like, oh, oh, no, you didn't tell him where you live. And he's like, no, no, I set up an email to go out right before I go home from school. I'm not an idiot. So Marco tells everyone else and then cuts the end of the school day to go find Axe and go disable the email so it doesn't go out. But unfortunately, they also mess everything up again. A theme of this book, Marco messing things up. Uh, so David's dad gets home, uh, they set off a security alarm, the email goes out an hour early, and Visitor 3 shows up with a bunch of hork and there's this huge fight where David is there, and David's dad is there, and all the Animorphs are there, and Visitor 3 and a bunch of hork and the Animorphs escape with the box, and with David, but David's parents both get taken by the controllers, and his house is totally gutted. So they're like, David's life is ruined, we have this unconscious kid, what are we going to do with him? We could leave him for the year, because he doesn't know who we are. Or we could make him into another Animorph. So they vote, and they vote to make him into a new Animorph. Gray is shaking her head. I'm so excited for this discussion. And this is an exciting time for a new Animorph because there's this thing going on. So there's a summit of world leaders happening in the town. And the Yerks are definitely going to target these leaders. And Eric lets them know that one of the leaders, at least one, they can't know it's not more than one, is already a controller. And it's happening at this Marriott resort outside of town. So they go, they bring David, who they've made into a new Animorph. They go investigate, and while they're investigating, they're like, just, it's a few days early, we'll just investigate the security. But they see Marine One, the president's helicopter, approaching, and then a cloaked Yerk ship approaching the helicopter. They're like, oh no, they're going to try to take the president of the United States right now. So they fly into the blade ship in their bird morphs, hide under a helicopter, um, find out that Visser 3 has acquired a man with a slash on the sole of his shoe, who they assume is the president of the United States. And the Yerks notice that they're there. They manage to get out by falling through a hatch, and then there are like a bunch of cockroaches falling through the sky, and the book ends on To Be Continued. Wait, what happens next? I don't know! It's To Be Continued! Wait, what? Yeah! This book doesn't resolve its world leader's plot! How do you feel about that, Gray? (laughs) I mean, at least they've given me something to go on for my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I predict that the next one, they go back to the Lear and Homeworld. 
<laughs> that worked out for me once. <laughs> I should really. You just try it every time. Yeah. It's bad to be right again. <laughs> Need to capitalize on that. Yeah. This is the first one that has ended on a to-be-continued note, like an actual cliffhanger. How did you feel? I felt annoyed. But also, like, kind of glad because I was watching how many minutes, you know, how many percentage I had left in the book, and I was like, how are you going to resolve this in the next two minutes? (laughs) Oh, you're not. Okay. Yeah, it would have been pretty anticlimactic if it had been like, and then they free the president and all the other world leaders, and it's not a problem anymore. Right. I was I was worried about that, and then I got to to be continued and went. That's not that much better, you guys. (laughs) But it is kind of exciting that apparently there's going to be this plot that's big enough to last more than one book. This David guy. That a lot of it has happened so far in this book. Yeah. Speaking of this David guy, I really respect that you were completely David neutral in your summary of the plot. Yeah. I would like to hear (laughs) what Gray has to say about our latest animorph. This kid is a sociopath. (laughs) So you're also pretty neutral on him. Got it. Got it. I'm very worried for them. I mean, from the moment that they, that Marco meets David, I had kind of a bad feeling. And the more time I have spent with him, the worse that feeling has grown until the very end when he, in Eagle Morph, deliberately kills another animal, a crow. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So bad feeling also is a sociopath. Yeah, I don't yeah. like it. I'm, I'm glad that validates how I felt reading this book for the first time because when it when it came out, I remember distinctly hating the very concept of a new animal oh, at this yeah. point in the series. So, like from that first meeting, I was against him, and like the book does not paint him in that good of a light. So I was like, the deck was like stacked against him in my view, and so mm-hmm. it all kind of like snowballs from there. Reading it through this time, I was like, as bad as David is, the Animorphs also do some questionable things. So I'd like to talk about it, but I find I still find it hard to get over that initial deep-seated bad impression. Yeah, I could see that. Jenny, what did you think of David? Well, so this was not the first David book that I read. Like, this was a consequence of my having read them not in order. And so I was kind of surprised by the impression that is presented of him in this book. Uh, it's it's really not that great. Yeah, it's not good. No. Okay, so I knew he would be in the next book. Is he in other later books? Great. How would you imagine we would tell you that? <laughs> Sometimes I like Do you to know ask. us at all? Just in case. We'll let something slip. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I hope you'll have to spy on us better than that. I'm really worried on about yeah. their inclusion of David. I think it is a very bad decision. Yeah, so should we talk about that decision? That's really the, the crux of the book, the most exciting chapter. Yes, let's <laughs> do that. Yeah, so there are a lot of bad decisions in this book, just, just saying. They really go about this whole box thing very poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I um, definitely reading the discussion of that whole debate, like, should we turn him into a new Animorph? Like, leaving aside any foreknowledge I might have, like, I don't think they should have decided that. Like, you mean they shouldn't have made the decision they did, or they shouldn't have made it there? Oh, no, I think they sh- I think they made the wrong decision. Like, I understand that they didn't want to leave him to become a controller, but, like, this is essentially the choice they face with, like, literally every controller they come across. They could kidnap them and make them not a controller after three days, but then they'd have to figure out what to do with them. And, like, they made the choice they did in this situation because he wasn't a controller yet and because he was actually in front of them and they had to sort of decide his fate. But they've been passively deciding the fates of all these other controllers where they don't choose to do that. So I think they were a little bit swayed by, like... They don't necessarily put it this way, but they destroyed his life. 
They did do that. That's okay. Maybe you're right. They have some more responsibility. Like, <laughs> it's it's not just like, I mean, again, maybe they, they had a choice where at some point they could have said, okay, well, we'll just knock him out and leave him and let him get. Wait, that, but did they but destroy in, his life? In the life? heat of the moment. His life has been destroyed. They I did not do not think it. it is the Animorphs' fault. They failed to stop it. Yeah, but they, but they didn't do it. He, he emailed it. Visser 3 and said, hey, I've got a morphing cube. Would you like it? Which, granted, is not his fault either. He had no also, idea. Also, he might not have thought it was valuable if trained birds hadn't tried to steal it the day before, right? I mean, but he still, you know, was interested in what it was going to do. I think it, at some point, I suspect, the Yerk organization would have figured this out. Now, at least because... Probably that scanner they have for the alien materials <laughs> is eventually going to pick up the fact that there's a. So do we think it there? just didn't work because it was sitting in like a wall? I guess no. <laughs> I think you're right that before we get into that, destroyed yeah. his life is too strong. Yeah. Based on what happens in this book, but at the very least, I think having his whole family be infested for him and his family would have been better than what happens to them in this book, where David's home is destroyed, his mm-hmm. father's finger is cut off by axe. And, like, David is essentially homeless, right? But if they'd left him to become a controller, that would have been basically the first outcome you described. Like, yes, his dad's finger is cut off. Maybe the Yerks can help him get his finger back. I'm sure the Yerks can get them a new home. Yeah, I mean, the outcome is actually the same, right? In either of those scenarios, his parents are controllers. In one of them, he doesn't have halves. But pretty sure they're going to fix that problem. And I think they should have let him become a controller. Because now, if he goes back but to... That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the Animorphs getting involved made it worse for him. Before or after they turn him into an Animorph. Oh. <laughs> because I think that they made his life worse by making him an Animorph. Ah. I, I see. So you're saying letting him go at that point would have been better. Would have been at least the same. It would have been a neutral decision right. from the perspective of what has happened to David and his family right. over the course of this book. So like abandoning him in Mexico or something would have been better than turning him into an Animorph. No, letting him go back to his parents and then all three of them can be controllers together. It's I mean, not a good outcome. Okay. I think it's, everyone is a controller. I thought it was, we were talking about like the guy in book 12 who goes to like Ukraine and then <laughs> no. goes off they the grid. They should send him to Uzbekistan with J- Jason McCall. No. There are hundreds, if not thousands of controllers. I'm not saying their lives are good. I'm yeah. not saying we yeah. shouldn't try to save them. What I am saying is if we're saying that the worst case scenario is his parents become controllers, having him be an animorph who absolutely cannot become a controller is not better because he has two parents who will be actively trying to get him infested, which one would be super traumatic for a 13 year old mm-hmm. and two is probably going to work. He's mm. got to sleep sometimes. They can't kidnap him forever. He will. He's 13. He's going to have to go back to his parents. At some point, he will sleep, or they will, you know, give him a bunch of ketamine, and then he will definitely sleep, and then they'll infest him. And now he's an animorph who's been infested. This is the worst possible outcome. So you think they're going to send him back to his parents? Where? What are they going to do well, with him? Well, that's a good question. Can, like, they can't send him back to his parents. He's... 13. The police so will send him back to his parents. <laughs> yes, but he's 13.
13 with parents in this mm, town. That's true. Like, he's, Rise's it's not parents don't really like he talk. can go live in the woods. His parents are looking for him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, not for good reasons. They're looking right. for him because they're controllers. They're, they want, But they are his parents. It's not like he can live in Cassie's barn and hope her parents don't find him. That's mm-hmm. insane. He can't, you know, show up at Jake's door and be like, this is my new buddy. He's going to live with us for a while. Jake's parents will give him back to his parents. Tom would give him back. <laughs> he is 13. This is the worst possible decision for them to make at this point. So why did they make the decision? Because they're 13. And <laughs> I am trying to give them a break for being kind and trying to fix the problem right in front of them. They well, are, so they vote, right? They do vote. So I do understand... I think they would all say that being free and being an anamorph is better than being a controller. Like, they would all choose that, even though obviously being an anamorph is not a picnic either. And I can definitely see why they feel like they couldn't deliberately put this kid in a position where he would become a controller, even though I just made the argument that, okay, that's morally the same as, like, leaving all the other controllers as controllers. But, yeah, I think if they're trying to keep him from that fate, which they know to be a terrible one of being a controller... I mean, it's definitely going to be easier to hide him if he has Animorph powers. No one can see you, Shrug. (laughs) Shrug? I mean, the thing is, like, that's true. I just... I mean, and part of it definitely was that I get a very bad vibe about David. And I Mm -hmm. have concerns about him as an Animorph. But mostly, I just think that this is a very kind and present thinking decision Mm. and not a practical or forward-looking decision yeah Yeah. cassie makes the same bet that she does in 19 right (laughs) she's like let's take a leap of faith (laughs) marco's like i I can't handle what people say that and as i suggested in the last book it worked out very well by sheer coincidence I mean, it only worked well for Cassie last time because she happened to get the one Yerk who was the Yerk version of Cassie. You have not gotten another human version of Cassie. And I do wonder, like, Cassie didn't make a final call about Aftran until she'd spent a lot of time with her. Mm -hmm. She's not, like, going around randomly making this decision about a lot of people. I guess that Marco's the only one who's really interacted with David at all, and so Marco kind of doesn't like him. But, like, from Cassie's point of view, she's like, oh, it's this unconscious kid, right? Cassie knows nothing about him. Right. Of course we'll, we'll put our faith in this unconscious kid, right? Nobody at that point knew. He was a tabula rasa. Yeah. Except, except for Marco, which which actually makes it even weirder that they would <laughs> that they would go for it. All right, but then what about they also don't talk about this? But what about the fact that David might be able to, or the Yurk in David's head might be able to be suspicious of Marco based on that? That's in, true. That they don't bring that up, but that's very valid. Like Marco's like a blue box. Can I buy it from you, please? <laughs> like. At that point, you've given a little bit away, at least enough for the Yerks to be interested in him. That's a very good point. It is not something that they bring up. Ted, you brought up the vote. Do we want to talk about how each of the characters voted? Yeah, yeah. So we said Cassie's yes, leap of faith. Yeah. There's an interesting beat here where Marco, like, snorts, but then Cassie (laughs) smiles tolerantly at him. Yeah. Tobias says yes because they can't just leave him. They can't abandon him. I understand that, even though, like you're saying, kind but short-sighted. Axe says it's too risky which is mm-hmm. a surprise. At first, he's like, this isn't my deal. And then yeah. they're like, no, you're one of us. Mm-hmm. Though I really liked his argument about, like, because Cassie's brought up, like, maybe we could make lots of new Animorphs. Maybe this is a way to an end game. And Rachel and Marco both get really excited about that. They're like, maybe we could have a huge army. We could take more risks. We don't have, wouldn't have to be so careful about, like, there are only six of us. None of us can get 
you know, hurt in a permanent way. Mm-hmm. And then Axe is like, we're fighting a guerrilla war and we don't need numbers. We need like agility and we need to be a strong team. And this mm-hmm. might weaken us on the eve of an essential mission, which is such a good like tactical analysis or strategic analysis. I'm never sure the difference between those two terms, but it's such a good, it's such a good analysis of their situation. It's smart strategically yeah. and tactically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, this is an interesting, like, Axe has been trained in a warrior culture. He has a different lens on this. He's <laughs> earned that promotion. Yeah, he, he really has. has. It's a good point. Someone needs to promote him. And then him. Marco's like, all right, well, it's two in favor, two against. Jake and Rachel to go. Rachel's obviously going to be against it. And then Jake isn't going to create a tie situation. So he's like, sigh yeah. of relief. Oh, yeah, Marco's vote is I don't like him. And then Rachel says, let's do it. <laughs> Rachel just diving into stuff. It's interesting. Like, now at least they can't have ties anymore. Six is a difficult number. You can have a tied vote. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's the vote. After that, they really need to work on their onboarding process. Yes, it's not a good (laughs) onboarding process. No, they've been fighting for like 20 books now, or I guess 19. They didn't fight in the end of the Chronicles. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of forgotten how, how it felt to be new and they've also forgotten the differences between their situation at the beginning and David's like they hadn't just lost their entire lives they still had their entire lives and were struggling to maintain them with being an animorph but they hadn't lost their parents they hadn't lost their homes um, they hadn't lost their routine and they also like Tobias points out like none of us knew each other and Rachel's like no we all knew each other we didn't know you (laughs) (laughs) but Rachel and Tobias like formed this instant connection like you could see it in book one and so they all were connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. At the same time, I'm sort of like, what if David at the construction site, maybe he just would have gotten them all killed? <laughs> like, you know, I don't I don't yeah. necessarily know. It's kind of the, I totally agree that the Animorphs are not doing a good job of making the sale. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at the same time, like, in that, in that first moment when they're all meeting Elfangor and then they see him horribly killed... Like, would any 13-year-old kid in that situation rise to the occasion? Or is it really a credit to these five kids that they did? I don't know. That's definitely an interesting question to, like, consider as we go forward. And I think it's a really good point. I mean, we've said all along, these are extraordinary children. Like, they are making decisions well above their pay grade and age <laughs> Their pay grade of zero. Exactly. <laughs> as Rachel points out. Yeah. <laughs> definitely are not getting paid enough for this. And they're, they're making good decisions. They're being very compassionate and, you know, doing very well, despite how much I, you know, mock their actual decisions. They are doing very well for themselves. And I think it is a testimony to them that the next time they try to do that, the person does not respond with a kind of, you know, leap of faith or a, even a, a willingness to suspend disbelief long yeah. enough to get the operating instructions, yeah. but is instead God, I hope not a more normal teen, but a different kind of teen (laughs) (laughs) who is very skeptical and does not kind of fall in line the way that they all did. Although, as Marco points out, like he was also skeptical at the beginning. But it is very different, I think, to go through a first, like, scary, like, ridiculous mission like they did in the Mm Yerkul, where everyone who's with you is kind of in it together. You're all overwhelmed to the same degree. As opposed to being like, everyone else here knows what they're doing. They've done this a lot. I'm the one who doesn't know anything. I am going to be holding them back. I'm the outsider here. Mm -hmm. Because in such a terrible situation, like feeling like you have that network of support is 
really important. Yeah, it's a good point. The other thing that they do during their onboarding is when they're trying to convey the seriousness of the situation, right? Because he hasn't had that terrible experience yet. Though I don't know, the fight that he got into must have been pretty (laughs) traumatic. Yeah. But Marco goes on this rant about how David's parents are being turned into controllers as as they're talking, and he goes into detail about what the Yerk pool is like. And at this point, it's like Marco's basically just bullying him. He's just he's just saying you you have to you have to listen. You know he's he's not trying to reach David. He's just intimidating him, and he's he's and I think it's getting out this aggression. Yeah, he's like fallen into this place where it's become more about himself, and he's imagining it happening to his mom. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about like he's not trying to create an effect on David. He's not like deliberately bullying, but like he has forgotten about the effect he's creating on David. Maybe. I mean, it's, he, he, <laughs> he also he, doesn't, like David, doesn't like David. So it's right? hard because it's, it's also interesting in this book. Marco clearly doesn't like David from the beginning, mm-hmm. so that also influences a lot how we feel mm-hmm. about him. That's really right true. Right. They have the most clashing personalities of right. the group. But there's also, I think, a you know, part of that is deliberate kind of pushing away David because Marco doesn't really want him in this group and he's being forced to accept him and he doesn't like it and he's lashing out a little bit. But -hmm. I think part of it is also just a very different approach to onboarding. There's the, there's the approach that says you kind of ease them in (laughs) and give them information as it comes up and that this, you don't need to like get all the dirty details right away. And then there is the throw them in the deep end approach to onboarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that works if it's easy to fire them and hire a new person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's not true so much here. So this they've, is very much the deep end. They've never had to think <clears throat> about this before. Mm-hmm. Like, Axe showed up in book four, but he was already in this conflict. This was already his war. He already knew everything about the Yerks. Mm-hmm. He was even more committed than they were, probably. This is just such a totally different situation. They haven't given it any thought. I'm a little disappointed that, like, Cassie didn't give it thought. That she, like, didn't come up with a strategy. Because it seems like something she would be good at thinking well, through. Well, she, she tries to cut Marco off when he's yeah. going over the line. She doesn't really do it proactively, I guess. She does it reactively right, a little. Right. Yeah. Probably the way, like, realistically, someone would have needed to say, hey, Cassie, why don't you be in charge of this? Yes, yeah. yes. Jake would have had to really appoint her to that. Right. And yeah. then, like, made it clear to the others, this is her thing. She's doing she, this. If the only reason, the the other only reason the afternoon thing worked is because it was, it was only Cassie making the mm-hmm. calls from the beginning. Right, yeah. like when Marco shows up, it like right. after and really regresses into her, like right, lost right, right. again. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying Marco should not go into HR. <laughs> yes, I agree with <laughs> it's that. It's gonna analysis. just ruin his career hopes and dreams. Not a good career for him. Well, he was hoping to make that leap of faith and join HR. Okay, so it's interesting. They do sort of reveal their identities to him, at which at which point they sort of have lost the option of setting him loose. Yeah, right. But but they still sort of let him choose to be an animorph, right? They continue, like, the hard sell. And there's this whole thing of, like, we're going to do the... We've got some birds for you to acquire, and we're going to do the blue box thing if you're in. So, like, what do you think? Are you in? Right? What would they have done if he wasn't in? I don't know. I don't know. But there's this whole thing, first of all, what bird does he pick? Mm-hmm. So he's given the choice between two birds. A merlin, which is a small, very fast bird, which would be useful mm-hmm. or a golden eagle which is huge and very aggressive and deliberately kills smaller birds like hawks so is he given a choice because if they tell him to acquire the merlin right but why did they bring the golden eagle because they had to bring both of them into the wild they were setting both of them free it was like a thing for cassie's dad 
So they just didn't want to do two trips. <laughs> or I guess they just didn't anticipate David would be... So belligerent. You know, belligerent. why didn't he just acquire both? This is the thing where the Animorphs never acquire unnecessary animals. And I guess they still don't... Like, they've never they've asked never questions. Like, it. do we have a limit? But he should just acquire both. <laughs> but he's defiant, at mm-hmm. least, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't like being bossed around. And they haven't picked up on this yet. Yeah. And then Jake is like, I'm not telling you what animal to morph. Jake said calmly. But it was that calm <laughs> voice Jake uses when he's actually starting to get mad. Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, and he's being... Very insistent and also very obnoxious about it. Which, again, he's 13. He's in a very difficult situation. I'm trying to be forgiving. Just would have such a different reaction myself mm-hmm. that it is hard for me to be sympathetic yeah. with this character who is being very rude and quite cruel in some ways to these people who are, you know, maybe not handling things super well, but are clearly trying to help. He clearly has some issues he's bringing into it. It seems like he's changed schools a lot. And he has these issues about, like, being the new kid. And he's, like, making this analogy of, like, you know, I know I'm the one who, like, doesn't fit in. But I'm not going to let myself get pushed around. And it seems like he's, yeah, he's bringing this experience with sort of an outsider dynamic to the group. One thing that I thought was interesting in that passage is he also, um, I'm not going to get pushed around and I'm not going to be all, oh, thank you, wise and wonderful animals for letting me join if I made him all the way in. And I think that's reasonable for him to call them on that. Yes. And very similar to the Andalites. Ah. Right? Like, sort of wise and wonderful, very arrogant, knowing yeah. what's best for everybody. I think there's some good parallels there between the Animorphs and, and the Andalites. But also lots of people have to transfer a lot. Like, that is not <laughs> unusual. Yeah. Both yeah. my mother and my husband's mother were in 14 different schools Ooh. before they graduated from college, like, or high school. And neither of them were jerks. Like, <laughs> there's a certain extent to which I'm willing to forgive you for yeah, that, yeah. but there's also yeah. a certain extent I'm like, yeah, yeah, but your, you know, difficulties in life do not allow you to be a jerk to other people, which mm-hmm. is what you're doing. Yeah. Again, yeah. I'm not a sympathetic person. <laughs> I like Rachel's reaction to that, where she she laughs out loud. Oh, he'll fit in fine. Yeah, which is interesting. Like I think she's, like she sees like a glimmer of hope for like fighting spirit. And so there. does Marco, right? Marco yeah. says he he. I like the speech. I like that he pushes back. I like his attitude. I still didn't like David. Yeah, but it seems like there is there's like hope and there's a strikes against hope for like a better dynamic. Like he Cassie makes a joke and like everyone laughs and Marco notes like David laughs too. Like he's sort of in that. But then there's also, they bring him on this mission to try to save the world leaders, throwing him in the deep end, and he gets freaked out morphing the cockroach. And this is a really interesting development for Cassie, where Cassie starts talking about, like, okay, I know this is scary, but you know what? Marco handled this. Are you not going to be as good at Marco at handling this? And Marco's like, wow, that's a good move, but he's really going to hate me now. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so maybe there's some progress being made. Maybe there's also some, like, fault lines being marked out. Yeah. Uh, So I'd never seen this exact side of Cassie. She's good at understanding people. It hadn't occurred to me she'd be good at manipulating people if she had to. Yeah. She's pushing it all the right buttons. It's really interesting. It's the... It's a parallel between how Jake is able to leverage his connection to the Animorphs to get them to follow orders, uh-huh. right? Like, when he sees that Marco is feeling vulnerable in front of Visser 1, he's like, Marco, don't do anything, right? <laughs> and and Marco just implicitly trusts Jake 
And so, like, Jake can't do that with David. If mm-hmm. he orders him, he's going to react and, like, do the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. That's the main thing that David yeah. seems to do is when someone bosses him around and gives him a direct order, his instinct is to disobey, right? Like, It'll be interesting to see if Jake figures out, like, how to work around that. Right, right. But but then Cassie has this, it's like, a, it's a thing <laughs> that, it's not a button that any of the other Animorphs has to push of just being like, mm-hmm. oh, like, you want to yeah. look weak? You want to look weak in front of everybody else? And then he's like, okay, I'll try yeah. well it is sort of a thing that we've taken for granted like jake's good relationship with all of the animars which enables him to give these orders like he was friends with all of the human animals they all really liked him. yeah mm-hmm. like tobias felt like he had this connection to jake even though they weren't like close friends and he was very close to the others and and when ax showed up he like consciously gave his allegiance and like really you know reaffirmed that in book 18 and so this is like just starting from a very different place. Mm-hmm. It makes you really think about like, oh, that's why his leadership works so well. It's because of those relationships and because he's been able to maintain them decently well. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he, you know, even when he messes up as a leader, mm-hmm. he's very good at kind of coming back to those relationships yeah. and fixing them to the best of his ability. I mean, I was thinking about him and Cassie and how they had that whole disagreement at the end of 16 and that you know, he doesn't ever kind of apologize for the what he said or the decisions he makes, but he does make it better, right? He goes back to her barn yeah. and like helps with that. So he's good at kind of reaffirming those relationships. Mm-hmm. He, he is a very good leader in a lot of ways. It's impressive. Yeah. David does not contain. It's, it's such a different leadership style, obviously, than Visser 3, where it's, you know, Jake is sometimes strategic in small ways, but it's mostly like a relational style of leadership mm-hmm. as opposed to like, fear or you know i can imagine visser one using a style of leadership obviously i don't really know but like where she is probably more subtle but like the fear isn't oh she's about to cut off my head it's she wields a lot of power and could wield it against me uh whereas jake doesn't use any aspect of that that we've seen i don't think yeah that's a good point yeah okay so they make this decision they very poorly onboard him it's so intense like Granted, in book one, they went to the Yerk Pool, and that was one of the most intense battles they've had. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know what they were getting into. They know what they're getting into here. I guess they're just doing recon, so they're bringing along for recon. They don't know they're going to run to the blade ship, so maybe that's fair. But, like, yeah, I guess how do you onboard him except by bringing him to missions? It's just tough. Also, are they going to leave someone with him? Like, if what he do doesn't mean? come, oh, yeah. then they're down a member. That's true. Yeah, because we I didn't talk about this in my summary, mostly because I forgot. David goes home with Marco that first night, and Marco finds him trying to sneak out and call his parents. And Marco's like, okay, let's go to this payphone, because have you ever heard of caller ID? And they go to the payphone, and Marco lets him talk for a couple minutes, and the dad is like, it was just a joke, people from work playing a joke. And so David's like kind of believes a little more, and then like the controllers attack the, the payphone, and Turns out all the Animorphs were, like, watching to back him up, which is another, like, maybe don't do stuff behind the back of this guy who doesn't trust you. But it seems like David was convinced from that. But I don't think they really have reason to believe that he isn't going to try to reach his parents again. So so he has now the Golden Eagle Morph. Mm-hmm. And they're taking him on, on this mission. Yeah, he, I guess, has something from the gardens, which is not specified, and also some bugs. I'm sure we'll learn what he got from the garden <laughs> in the next one. One thing that I wanted to read out, because I really enjoyed this passage, this is the first time David's gone off flying. Yeah. So he's in his golden, golden eagle yeah. morph for the first time. 
so they, they leave the bar and they fly off. And Marka says, it was strange and kind of emotional watching someone more for the first time. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It was like, I don't know, like when someone becomes a citizen. You know, when they swear someone in and one minute he's Chinese or African or Dutch or Mexican or whatever. You know, African, that country. Right. Um, and the next minute, once he's solemnly sworn or whatever, he's an American. As much an American as any other American. And I honestly, I mean, I went when I went to my dad's citizenship ceremony, that was very much like it, what it was. It's 80 people, you know, swearing this oath. And it's very emotional. Mm-hmm. And I loved mm-hmm. that analogy. I thought it was so sweet. And um, I loved that Marco made the connection to his own mom. Yeah. Yes. It's not clear that she became a citizen, but he does say my own mother was born in another country. It's just, it's a lovely way to think about becoming an anamorph, that this yeah. is your new, um, your new citizenship. Right. It also felt like a very, like, not 2019 take on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but yes, I did really like that. And I loved the passage where David is flying for the first time and is really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Then he kills the crow, and it's like, oh, oh no! But that's definitely like that first part is how I would I would react. I would be thrilled. This would be like the best thing ever to happen to me. You know, shortly after the worst thing ever to happen to me, right. I guess in his case. Um, but yeah, it was really great to see that like actual joy in it. I do want to come back to this killing the crow thing. Yeah, let's talk about that. So uh, they're flying. They're having a great time, and David yells, "Yeehaw! I'm doing it!" <laughs> and swoops down like a falling rocket straight towards a crow. And, you know, because they're spread out, there's no chance for any of them to stop him. David kills this crow. And then he, you know, swoops back up as though nothing happened. Jake yells at him, what are you doing? And David says, um, um, I guess this eagle's brain kind of took over for a minute. I can't believe I did that. That poor bird. I just lost control. I like that line reading. (laughs) And Marco looks like, Marco realizes he's lying. He's just flat lying to Jake, yeah. which I think is, is true. I don't think Marco is yeah, reading that into yeah. his... It's I Marco's agree. reading, but it does feel like Marco's actually seen something, not like Marco's like, I don't know, he might have been lying. Right. No, he he's lying. He but killed, it seems like everyone else believed it. Yes, that's just it. Like, David killed a crow deliberately in cold blood for absolutely no reason, Marco says. And then they get distracted by Marine One. Yeah. So, the thing about all of this is that he is he's killing another animal very deliberately after having chosen a morph which he knew could do that. Right. But then he is lying about it to everyone on the team. Yeah. None of these are good signs for yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm like I'm very concerned. And actually I was looking at my notes about David and so the the second time we meet him he's talking to Marco and I have a note that says is this kid a sociopath? <laughs> and then at that at that, that scene, he kept he not laughing at the it? jokes. It was, it was him not laughing at jokes, and it was specifically when he's talking. It's after they, they try to break in as birds, and he's talking to Marco about these, like, trained birds tried to burgle me last night. <laughs> Which, can you just imagine that happening? I can, and it's very funny. So, <laughs> you're like, who said these birds? They, were, they had trained <laughs> birds. These two birds flew in my window. They tried to get the box. There must have been somebody after this box. Which, again, you're right. It's like the Animorphs show him that this thing is valuable. But yeah. <laughs> I have one more argument. We'll get around to yeah, why okay. the Animorphs okay. are responsible. Uh, so he says, uh, but fortunately my cat Megadeth went after one. <laughs> you named your cat Megadeth? I just wish my snake had been out of the box. 
He's had his venom taken out, but I bet it would have scared those birds. Snake? Yeah, he's really cool. He's a cobra. You're not even supposed to be able to get them, but my dad got it for me. He goes overseas a lot. He's a spy, but don't tell anyone. And I was like, oh my god, there's a lot going on in that there paragraph. There's a lot. Like, it turns out it's all true. Yes. Right. But... Oh, man. I think the he's a spy, but don't tell anyone says a lot about this kid. Yes. It's like he really he's, wants to fit in. He's and, telling yeah. this first person he met who he doesn't know very well at all, who, but telling him not to tell like, anyone. Right. Yeah. I'm just, I was very worried about him then. And then he kills the crow. And I'm like, oh, 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 no. He was Yikes. very caring towards his own snake. I mean, it was Marco and Snake Morph, but he thought it was his own snake, where Marco's about to bite Visser 3. And a hand reached down and grabbed me behind the neck. It was David. Look out, Spawn! He cried. I love the <laughs> bit where Marco's like, do we really want to really <laughs> convert a guy who has a cat named Megadeth into snake named Spawn? I mean, what does that say about him? And Cassie's like, that he has bad taste in music and good taste in comic books. <laughs> I loved that, that so was amazing. Much. <laughs> oh, Kathy. We're going to get to the 90s references. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so good. Uh, but so I actually, I was thinking, like, maybe I'm being too hard on David. I wrote out, like, all the things that he does that were, like, yellow flags to me, mm-hmm. which, you know, like, just which ranged from, like, owning a snake to murdering, murdering <laughs> the crow. Snakes are cool. Right. <laughs> right. No, you know, but it's still... Cassie would own a snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think there's, like, there's a lot of things that he does that are seem bad like they're like oh who owns a bb gun like who's shooting birds that you attack with a bb gun i really loved rachel's you'll he'll shoot his eye out (laughs) (laughs) it was very a christmas story i really appreciated it um and then like the stuff where he has really bad opsec where he's like oh i don't know about caller id i'm just gonna tell my i believe my dad instead of you marco like Mm -hmm. i feel like that's all that's all kind of bad but it's pretty forgivable considering how in over yeah. his head he is, right? Yeah. But the killing the crow thing is, is totally terrifying and a yeah. major red flag. I'm very concerned. Yeah, that was the Marco point at which I was like, oh, okay. This actually is a really bad version. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that he does is not only is he grossed out by the roaches, but then even when he starts the morph, he's then his like panicked screams give him a, give them away, which again is like... He screws it up. He screws okay, up the mission for them. Okay, but can you Exactly. Him for that. You, can't, like you can't blame him for that. Can you imagine, like, they morphed roaches in, like, book six. They had morphed a lot of things by then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine if they had to morph roaches in a high-pressure situation, like, watching someone else morph a roach in book one, like, that would have been... Right. Which, by and, the way, I amend one of my rules. One of my rules is you cannot morph for the first time alone. Mm. Or... In a battle situation. Yeah. Why didn't they have him practice the morphs? That's really on them. That is on them. They should have known how horrifying those morphs were. I mean, they did know. Yeah. And they gave him the morphs but didn't have him practice when he had never morphed anything before? Come on. I do think that I'm maybe getting the the timing of this wrong, but I actually think that they are surprised by the appearance of the helicopter. That is true. So maybe they just didn't have time to practice the morphs, but still. I don't know. You take 20 minutes, you have him morph his things, like yeah. get it out of his system. Have the freak out. You right. know, maybe an hour if you want to give him a break. Oh, and yeah. Drink. Well, so they had that. He So when he morphs the eagle for the first time, mm-hmm. he loses it and attacks Tobias, right? Yeah. Which is like eagle mm-hmm. instincts. And then, but Cassie's ready to kind of tackle him and they're like, David, control it, control it. Yeah. So actually, it's really interesting that what he takes away from that experience is like, that's that's where he gets the excuse he uses later, right? I lost control. Right. Yeah. So I was going to say, you can sort of forgive him for that initial aggression towards Tobias. Because, oh, like, certainly. animal for the first time. Rachel tried to eat a it, child as a crocodile. Right. Like, but the fact that his takeaway from that is, like, oh, this is, like, 
a license to do what I want and mm-hmm. then lie about it. That's like, mm-hmm. yeah. that's pretty terrible. Yeah, but it's also like Cassie is clearly ready for that, mm-hmm. but they don't think like, hey, maybe before giving him these morphs and going off on this mission, we should have him practice. Because like, yeah, they're just doing recon, but they know all sorts of things can happen. Like they've been doing this for a while. There's no excuse for them. Thinking, oh, it'll be a simple in and out mission. Their recon almost always turns into more than just recon. And in this very book, Marco had the whole thing where he's like, I thought it was going to be easy getting the box from this kid. Now I have a new rule. Whatever I think something's going to be easy, I'm worried. Can we talk about that? <laughs> sure. Got it. Okay. It Here is... comes, this is this oh, is why man. the Animorphs are responsible. It's not just the Animorphs, it's Marco. Marco himself is completely <laughs> responsible for what happens to David. Okay. Both the, both the converting into an Animorph and the stuff where he gets, his family gets infested, right? Okay. So the way this works is, so Marco obviously finds the cube and then approaches David and then is like super awkward about it. He... He doesn't make the best possible approach in this initial confrontation with David. He doesn't even go for, like, I'm going to steal it out of the kid's hand and, like, get beaten up, but at least it'll be worth it, right? Like, right. Which is, I don't, I don't blame Marco for that, right? But so then they scope out the house. Tobias sees the cube. The cube is on David's desk behind an open window, and David is swimming in the pool. And Tobias follows his orders, which are to report this back. So Tobias <laughs> that killed me. Tobias is like, I would have just gotten it, but you said to report back, and I was like, no. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's that's not really their fault, right? You know, like maybe it makes sense. You know, don't want to go in. They're being a little cautious. They're being, being a like, little we'll cautious for the last time in the book. And then, <laughs> then they they draw French fries to see who's going to go. And Marco and Rachel draw I the short fries. Jake had learned better than this at this point. Yeah. Don't send Marco and Rachel on a mission together. <laughs> Always send you yourself. That, Anytime you think he that doesn't go. would be able to chaperone. And, but unfortunately, <laughs> due to shenanigans, he's taken out of the picture right away. Due to Marco's mistake. Yeah. So, but this is the, the horrible thing that this all turns on is that they're talking about, okay, well, two of us will go in and get the cube. And it's Tobias and Marco because Rachel's morph is too big to get in the mm-hmm. window. And as they're swooping down, like, Tobias is going to go first, but Marco's like, oh, I'm closer, I can go first. And Tobias is like, oh, you got this? And Marco's like, yeah, 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 it's no problem. You know, like, I know how to, like, break inside a small room. And then Tobias is like, what about that that um, stick that's propping up the window? And Marco's like, what stick? And then <laughs> he knocks the stick out of the window, bonks his wing, closes the window so that Tobias runs into it and has, like... A clue hallucination. <laughs> has a temporary... Temporarily dissociates and... Goes into the universe of the board game Clue. He definitely has a concussion. I'm really worried about him. But that is a hilarious concussion response. Can you morph out of a concussion? No, because Rachel could not. So so anyway, so then Marco's trapped in the room. There's a cat. There's a cobra. Marco's in over his head. Uh, David comes in from the pool being like, what's the commotion? Tobias is out of commission. So Rachel breaks the window (laughs) in her eagle morph. To join the fray and save Marco. Rachel really could have just been like, Marco, demorph and then morph a bug and get out of there. We'll approach differently. Yes. So, so anyway, um, they're a both, bit Rachel's fault. they're both in here. They are able to recover the cube. David gets his BB gun out and starts shooting them. Rachel says, you could put your eye out with that, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, and then Marco has this bit. I could either jump up and rake his eyeballs or give up the box. But David was not a controller. He was not an enemy. And even I don't think he can just go around tearing into innocent bystanders. So they leave the cube to come back later. Yeah. Marco could have Marco could have stopped it there if he was a little more... If he was uh, a little more Marco. If he was a little more Marco in that moment. 
But I think it's probably good that he wasn't. I mean, that would be a pretty terrible decision. Like, let's potentially blind this kid to get the cube away from him. That's pretty harsh. It is. But you know when else they could have gotten the cube? That night, if they'd snuck in while David was asleep. That night, if they'd stuck in while David was asleep. The next day, when they sneak into his room in order to stop an email going out. Well, I think he had the cube in his backpack. But they could have stolen his backpack to check for it. They could have really thrown themselves at the situation a lot harder. Yes, it's very silly. Like, there's this whole thing where Marco figures out this email's going out. They don't all skip school to stop it. Jake's like, you go, Marco. You skip the last two periods and go. Like, no, just go right away. Go all of you. Right. He wastes a lot of time trying to find X. Right. Which is unnecessary because, as Tobias points out, you could just unplug the computer. Is that how email worked in the 90s? Yes. And also, you could have just unplugged the phone line. Yeah, they suggest that, As he points out, which I thought was great. I mean, you still would have... So it didn't... It lived on the computer. It didn't live in, like, some server somewhere where it was, like, preparing to send out the email. No, I don't think so. I think think that's right. I don't know. Is it... Do they say that it's AOL? They don't say. Like, I don't think Marco has any idea what kind of email system he's using. Because if it's AOL, it's, like... I mean, they didn't have the cloud exactly, but it's essentially cloud-based, right? Like, right, you can right, log right, in right, from right. a computer yeah. and, like... No, I was... For some reason, I was assuming that he had, like, he had, like, scheduled it. Oh, like, on his computer? Like, on his computer. Like, mm-hmm. some computer-based command to send an email rather yeah, than, like, yeah, yeah, an yeah. email I don't know why. That, right. It doesn't really, that doesn't really make they sense. They seem to think it was a computer-based thing, but, yeah. like, I don't think that's a reasonable assumption. I think you're right. Yeah. There's so the whole, plan, the whole plan was pointless. Yeah. But it must have been on his computer because his computer thought it was the wrong time. Oh, right. And so the email went out at the time. wrong time. Yeah. So it must have been a computer-based thing. Or he was but planning to skip school the whole time. That and also, seems, went out the right that also time. seems likely. Well, because he does skip school and comes home early. His right. dad gets distracted in the middle of a battle. Which was a nice, a really nice move from Marco. <laughs> Marco's like pretending to be an alien and arguing with the dad. And then he's like, Earthling, your son has ditched last period. And his, David's dad is right. like, wait, what? <laughs> I think what you're saying is right, Jenny, that just not taking this mission seriously enough yeah, or it's thinking kind of it, like, oh, this is easy. We'll be able right. To and I feel like the first un- until the fight breaks out at David's house, this book feels very much like a book twelve or book fourteen. Like it's mm, kind of yeah. silly. Like a bunch of wacky stuff happens, but like, oh, the consequences aren't that bad. Like, oh, we almost get caught morphing, and like it's kind of funny, right? Mm-hmm. And then this one, we get it, chased by with like a BB gun down the hallway of a house. Right, right, right. And then there's the bit where they're like. They try and sneak in ahead of uh, David getting home, and they set off the burglar alarm. Axe is running through the house in his Andalite body, breaking lamps and stuff. Yep. You know, like, it's very, very silly. There's the whole conversation of, like, Earthling. Right. He gets gets caught morphing, and he says to David's father, oh, hey, I'm an alien, you know. Uh, And so just the fact that they don't take it that seriously when actually the... The stakes are certainly stakes high are for David. incredibly high. Well, also for the Yerks getting the cube. Oh, yeah. We mm-hmm. haven't even talked about that, right? So yeah. to me, that's like David says that at one point. Um, before he becomes an Animorph, he has this whole speech where he's like, you don't tell me what to do. You know, like, wait, you think you saved me? Like, come on. You just wanted the blue box and you got mm-hmm. it, right? And mm-hmm. what do I have? I have nothing, right? And I'm supposed to just be I like, wonder... oh, you wise Animorphs. <laughs> you know, like, I'm so grateful that mm-hmm. I could join your club. And he's like, no, you just wanted the box and you got it. I wonder so. if it would make it better or worse for them to be like, well, we could have taken the box and left you and we didn't do that. Right. It's interesting <laughs> that they don't have that conversation. But, like, yeah. I do sort of think that that's the... Yes. Obviously, they can't let 
the Yurks get the box no, because then Visser 3 be could disastrous. create as many more f- capable opponents as possible. Right. <laughs> I wonder if Visser 3 would want that. Yeah, he probably he probably <laughs> would. Right. But But it's such a good opportunity for the Yurks. Like I feel like his perhaps not completely acknowledged psychological issues with letting other people have Andalite bodies. He really wouldn't be able to justify keeping the cube from the Yerks. Right. And hey, maybe he'll be able to infest the president, so... And then he can give the president morphing power, so he'll he'll have everything. I would like to just point out that many books ago, I suggested that they should find the morphing cube. (laughs) Yeah, you were totally right Yeah, did they ever (laughs) even look? (laughs) Yeah, they didn't look. (laughs) It was just sitting in the center of wall. Okay, the Yerks also didn't look. No one looked. There's this whole thing about, like, why wasn't it destroyed when the ship was blown up? It wasn't in the ship. Well, Axe doesn't know that. used it. No, but they all know that. Right. They were there. Like, I don't know where it was. Maybe Elfengor, in his dying moments, like, reached up and shoved it in a wall. Like, <laughs> I don't... But look for it. He put it yeah. somewhere that can defeat the Yurks. We'll find Cinder any... Cinder block. <laughs> right, right, right. We'll find any alien substance on the surface of the Earth, right? Mm-hmm. So putting it inside a cinder block is enough to prevent that. Apparently. Cinder blocks are really powerful. Yeah. It's a good thing David didn't find the time matrix. <laughs> Which is also just buried Don't in that construction. That. What's Greg going to predict for the next book now? <laughs> no, that doesn't come back for like three books. Three books? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, book, book 23? Time matrix? Yeah. All right. Sure. All right. We'll try um, to remind you of that when we get to 23. Please do. I do want to come back to something that, Ted, that you mentioned that it feels like some of those books where we've said they don't think about the consequences in the same way. And I really felt that in this book, that there, this is one of those times when there are some places where they're very aware of what the consequences will be and others where they're really not thinking about it. So for example, letting people know that the six of them are the Animorphs is something that has been a huge deal in the past. Even just one of them being known to a human not controller. Like, this is a big deal. And in this one, it is not really that much part of their discussion. Their discussion is very centered on what we do about this kid and not about what's going to happen if he learns about us and anything other than him being a full-throated member of the band happens. Right. Yeah. I mean, they they did it with... The hork I guess they Oh, really yeah, that's choice. a really good They did point. it with the yeah. But they think about it with the hork right? Yeah. There was a whole series the of them, like, carefully, I'm going to just show myself so at least they won't know about the rest yeah. of them. I'm going to show myself not more if they have a whole discussion about when to show themselves and whether yeah. we can trust them or not. That is not part of their discussion yeah, at I all. I feel like it's sort of an implicit thing, like, do we let them into the circle of trust? But they... They don't really, yeah. So it's just another one of those times when... I think this is where they were thinking strategically and not tactically, right? Axe is like, going from six to seven is a huge deal. And then, like, Cassie's like, but going from six to a thousand would be, like, no big deal at all, right? Like, let's get all the Animorphs going. They better have a really good onboarding system if they're going to a thousand. Cassie needs to develop some materials, like a PowerPoint or something. Cassie really needs to be in charge of that. Oh, yeah. Other bad decisions? (laughs) We could talk about non-David stuff for a little bit. I'm trying to see if there's more David stuff. I have some other, like, character stuff. I guess I I have a couple, I have a couple, like, Marco and David things. Yeah. So after David says to Marco, hey, will you be my second when I sell this morphing cube? I mean, he doesn't know that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll give you a 10% cut. Marco's like, oh, man. You idiot. This is going to go so bad for you. You don't even know what you're getting yourself into. And then yeah. Marco thinks, I sat there looking at David and thinking, how in the world am I going to save your life? Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours later, it's like, welcome to the Animorphs. 
That's that answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not. It's more like eight hours later. <laughs> right, right, right. And then the bit after Cassie is like goading David into morphing. Yeah. Um, Marco can't help himself but yeah. to antagonize him more. Uh, David's like, if he can do it, I can do it. And Marco th- says, when you've kicked half the earth but I've kicked, then you can talk, new boy. Which is like, not helping. <laughs> He's like, see, stupid. Now I just confirmed that David would hate me. Like, he knows that. Yeah. He just can't he just completely can't control. Because he really legitimately doesn't like him. Like, there's real animosity there. Yeah. Hey, at least he's given Cassie more material to work with next time. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So one thing that's kind of interesting about Marco in this book is it's very much a book about how he is not good at people mm, in a lot of ways. That's true. Yeah. That, that I was is, thinking about really why true. that opening anecdote is in there, and that's totally why. It's, oh, that's yeah. so good. He is such a dumbass. So the first chapter is Marco being just an idiot, and he is, let's go with, trying to compliment a number of girls at his school, and he manages to always do it in a way that puts his foot in his mouth and ends totally with offends him being, them. Yeah, you know, offending them, being chased by <laughs> one of their boyfriends down the hall. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much about you know Marco's trying to be a ladies' man and is terrible at it because he's not really that great at people. Yeah, and and then the next chapter is him meeting David and handling the whole situation very poorly and he says something like he doesn't know what to do and he looks around and says i kept scanning the hallway looking for jake or cassie someone with sense (laughs) i am not the right person to be doing this well we've talked before about how like a lot of his use of humor is like you know sometimes it's well-intentioned but it's it is like that sort of form of awkwardness of like i don't really know how to do this Mm -hmm. yet i'm a kid i'm still working this out and like yeah he's very aware of this but he doesn't know how to fix it. Like, he doesn't know how to be an actual smooth human being. And he clowns to make up for it. Right. Yes. But it doesn't work with David. Yeah, no, exactly. And it doesn't work with, I mean, it doesn't work with anybody. <laughs> like, you know, except for the Animorphs, he is pretty much, it seems, alienated an awful lot of people at this school. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just not, actually, one of my notes here was, um, toxic masculinity hurts everyone, Marco. <laughs> oh, it's That's so true. true. So it's. Just, I think it's just an interesting... Like yeah, he, he sort of frames this as like, I just don't understand girls. Or maybe he says females, which is an even worse sign. Yeah. And it's I've never, it's it's never, never made sense sign. to me, and it's always bad. I'm like, <laughs> come on, Marco. This is where you need to start. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that you don't understand people, mm-hmm. not girls. Yeah. Also, he, he likes that Danielle looks like a boy. And <laughs> maybe he needs to just, examine this about himself. Yeah, you know. <laughs> He's definitely bi. Yes, yes. But that is no excuse. Right. I remember when, uh, in the, I think it was one of the Cassie books, where Rachel's trying to like show off her new outfit, and someone comes up to Cassie and says, have you been working out? And we were just making fun of that kid so much. It's like Tyler or something. And here's Marcos doing the same, making the same mistake. Oh, yeah. He's 13. He's kind of an idiot. He's like smart, but not in all ways. Right. Yes, and just further proof of him being bi or perhaps pansexual, uh, he does once again point out that Axe is uh, in his weirdly handsome slash pretty human morph. Oh, yeah. His body is no longer disturbingly disturbing, but is fabulously strange. Ooh, <laughs> Progress since Megamorphs, too. Fabulous. <laughs> They just really bonded while they were trying to stop this email from going out. He also admires when Rachel bats her eyelashes at him. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, this poor kid, he just likes everyone. No one likes him. 
Well, he doesn't like David. Um, did you guys catch that the lunch lady calls him Little Marco? Yes! Because now I kind of understand why he's so sensitive about it. He must actually be very short. And I bet he's really cute to, like, old lunch ladies. Yeah. Like, I think I think that's what, like, everyone's probably like, oh, Mark, Little Marco, you're such a cutie. And he's that's why he's got a complex about it. It does seem like, based on the other Animorphs reports, he's probably like... Also perceived as a cute guy from 13-year-olds. But then every time he opens his mouth, he's put in it. So that doesn't do him any good. So I had a couple a couple of great a great axe moments. Oh, yeah. They, they're looking for David's house. And Marco says, look for a pool. It was sort of kidney-shaped. A pool? A yerk pool, Axe says. No, just a human pool. I've never heard of such a thing. Are they necessary for reproduction? <laughs> it's just, just... No, and in fact, very importantly... Um, I will say, though, Marco did invite Axe to a pool party in Megamorph's one. Good point. <gasps> Whoa, but they don't really see the he pool. He doesn't see the pool. Because just... they're too busy chasing their, their mice and they're the chasing elite. Daphne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but then I also really liked this description of Axe from Marco, which is, Axe is a soldier down deep inside, smug and superior sometimes, loopy and silly other times. Axe is still an Andalite Arist, a warrior in training, and he's Elfinger's brother, which tells you a lot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and nice assessment. It's in the context of they're trapped under Marine One, and Jake is like, Axe cause a distraction. And Marco was like, if Jake told that to me, it'd be like, hey, buddy, go get yourself killed so the rest <laughs> of us can morph. But like, then he reflects on Axe in that way. And Axe mm-hmm. is like, yes, Prince Jake, this yeah. is a good idea. Just a really great view of Axe. There was a nice, a nice insight into Jake's character. Jake's like, well, first of all, he says, better haul. You can use my notes from class later. Thanks, I said, but I think I'll use Cassie's notes. Yours will all be covered with doodles and pictures of jets and tanks. Hmm, Which seems like a, like, what a teen boy moment. But also, Jake is leading a military operation, and we know he's been studying battles. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that he doodles in his notes with jets and tanks. Because yeah. it's probably less like, man, fighting a war would be cool, as a normal 13-year-old might think stupidly while mm-hmm. doodling on their notes, and more like, ah, here's all the stuff I've been thinking about in my spare time. Yeah, boy, I wish we had a tank. <laughs> well, they do. They have Rachel. I don't know. I wonder if it's a little more like, hey, I'm kind of a cool general. Like, I wonder if he's oh. kind of getting into the... I if he's kind of getting into the idea. I don't know if that's darker or more optimistic. Like if I'm he's like, sure. what if I had a tank? Better acquire a rhinoceros. Jets. Like, what if we... You can see him, like, at home. Can we steal a jet? What if we stole a jet? Like They've done that before. Well, they have They have started to think a little bit about, like, wait, what is the end game? Could we end this war if we made a bunch of Animorphs? And they have the cube now. So maybe some items on Jake's wish list can come true. I have a couple of Rachel and Tobias moments. Please go for it. At one point, they have just bumped into Marine One, Mm -hmm. and Tobias explains the difference between Air Force One and Marine One. (laughs) The stuff you know, Tobias, Rachel marveled. It's so cute. I love marveled. It's like the dinosaurs, yeah. Very cute. But Marco still doesn't know. Marco has a comment where he's talking about how weird it is that he and Rachel so often end up on the same side. He's like, she likes Tobias more than me, and Cassie a lot more than me. And I was like... I'm not sure the degrees of that are quite what you think they are, but okay. <laughs> I think she likes both of them a lot, a lot more than Marco. And then the other Rachel and Tobias thing uh, was when they are going after the helicopter. Marco, Jake, Axe, Cassie, and David all end up in the blade ship beneath There's the so helicopter. Rachel and Tobias get stuck outside together. Mm-hmm. Poor Rachel and Tobias. Marco Marco thinks. They probably were just freaking out, wondering what was happening to the people inside. Not a very good date. Although maybe Rachel's kind of date. No. Although, and then the one other I just wanted to mention is 
So you said earlier, Ted, that Marco wastes a lot of time looking for Axe in the forest yeah. right. when Tobias was already there. And then they spend a lot of time looking for David's house, <laughs> which they can't find. Oh, yeah. Wasting all this time. And Marco says, I could have cried from sheer frustration. Then, from up above us, came a thought-speak voice. Way to forget about Tobias. And who? Marco? Cassie? You forgot about Tobias. (laughs) That's why he's a guy. (laughs) And Tobias knows where the house is and has been keeping an eye on it all day. Of course he has. He's super useful and important. He's very useful and important. Stop forgetting about Tobias, you jerks. That's so true. There were some nice Rachel Cassie moments. Mm. There was there was the insight from Marco. He spent part. I spent part of the afternoon finding an opportunity to tell Rachel and Cassie that David is just is about to send an email to Fisher Three. I had to wait till they were together. Cassie has a calming influence on Rachel. <laughs> There's also that bit where um, when they're waiting for Tobias to report back, when Rachel and Marco arm wrestle. <laughs> yes. Rachel's like, all right, let's go, let's go. But they, we don't actually get to find out who's stronger because Rachel kicks Marco <laughs> and then says, who cares how you win as long as you win? Um, which is interesting given that when we saw at 17, she was like, we all know, you know, whatever it takes to win. <laughs> and here she's at least able to like joke yeah. about it. But Cassie, Cassie rolled her eyes. You don't really believe that, Rachel. No, wait a minute. You probably do. <laughs> Which is a very light take from Cassie. I don't think she quite yeah. thinks that Rachel. Was I think that. this is more. They're kind of having fun. Yeah, with mm-hmm. the idea, like they're not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah, there was some nice insight on Marco and Cassie. Marco mentions the thing that happened in book nineteen. He says, "But since then, I'd felt a little shaky around her. Cassie has way too many morals and ethics. She's always wondering whether something is right or wrong. Me, I just wonder, will it work or not?" Mm-hmm. But then he also says, "I was thinking of something snide to say to Cassie, but I decided to keep my mouth shut." Cassie has saved my life more than once. You cut a person a lot of slack when they've saved your life. Which I thought was kind of a nice insight into, like, what ties the Animorphs together so much. But also, I don't think Marco is quite accurately reporting his own sense of morality. Like, I think he feels a little insecure about his own morality. Like, that's why he feels uncomfortable about Cassie. He feels like she's implicitly saying that he's a bad person for acting the way he does. But then he decides not to rake david's eyes and take the box like he does make all these choices that like are not completely ruthless even though he likes to think that he's ruthless i think because that sort of spares him from having to question his individual decisions Mm -hmm. so this is making me wonder about the choice to keep david because he doesn't make a strong argument against it Mm -hmm. he he thinks to himself i don't like him so i'm gonna vote no and then axe i guess made an argument but Axe's you argument think was so good. If Marco thought it wouldn't work, you'd think he would be as annoying as possible about it, yeah. right? So it's it's he really interesting. Back a little. It's interesting that he stands back and says like, "Oh well, I just don't like him," which is not re- like uh, is it that is it that his emotions are getting involved, so he's not being his best logistics yeah. self, or is it like he doesn't want to? He doesn't want to come across badly? as the person who's like, "No, give him to the controllers." Yeah, he it's also. Interesting that I he, think he calculates and thinks that he can win it without so putting himself So that he can't read Rachel. Like, he misreads Rachel. Right. Hmm. And then it's too late. Because I think at first he's like, okay, well, we're definitely going to vote to like save him. But then that's, when Axe votes, he's like, oh, okay, this might go the way I want it to go. Yeah, that's actually, that's, so it. that's so interesting that it's not, he he's, takes on this like squeaky wheel persona when he thinks he's the only one who... <laughs> 
is is in the right and he he needs to be that kind of like last line of defense for reason and yeah. so here he's like oh it's going my way I, yeah. i'm gonna do as little as possible that's yeah. a, that's a really interesting way to think about it yeah because i think he is somewhat calculating in the way he displays himself to the group because i think he is a little insecure about like seeming ruthless yeah so he's gonna choose when to go all out in defense of ruthlessness and he also i don't know that he feels incredibly strongly about this this decision like all of them are kind of like we don't really know how this will go. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe if he was like, no, this will be an unmitigated disaster, definitely, absolutely, 100%, he would have maybe spoken up harder. Right. Yeah. But he I just think feels that, guilty about what I think that doing. if Gray is there, then Marco's probably there, based on, based on <laughs> the first half of this book. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that seems reasonable. Uh, so you're saying Gray is not more ruthless than Marco? Correct. Great. Okay, just clarifying. I like the that take, and I appreciate it, although I'm not sure it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also talking about book characters, which is a little it's a yeah, little different perspective. So there's one other great X moment, which is also a moment of series lore, which is yeah. weird. I inadvertently spoiled this for Gray earlier. I don't know if it got cut out of the episode, but <laughs> the Morphin Cube is called an Escafiel device. Yes. And then Axe goes on. Actually, it has a number of names. Escafiel was the inventor of morphing technology. You know, the science behind it is quite incredible. The device causes a cascading cellular regeneration tied to a Z-space. And then Marco interrupts. We so do not care. It can cascade <laughs> all over a Z-space for all I care. So there's obviously a scientific explanation behind the morphing power, and it's only Marco's impatience that means we don't get to learn it. Although cascading cellular regeneration. Yeah, let's talk about that. Tied to a Z-space. A Z-space something. something. But a cascading cellular regeneration. Yeah. It's a very interesting way to think about it. Because that means, I am reading into this, that your cells on Earth, your body on Earth, is being regenerated from whatever Mm -hmm. is in Z-space. So it is not necessarily that the matter in Z-space... Is it's not a transfer. It's, it's like yeah, a, it's yeah, not going back yeah. and forth. It's just using this technology to regenerate. But what does it mean if the cells are regenerated? Does it mean they're reformed from their existing material? Does it mean it doesn't say replacement? Right. So my my thought here is that this is going to be one of those shoot, Ted. Maybe you know the name for this uh, sort of thought paradox, but it's the one about if you have a um, like a. Like the beam me up Scotty transporter. Oh and yeah, we talked about that a little, right? right? And it completely recreates you, yeah, from scratch. Are you the same person or are you a new person? Right. And I feel <laughs> when like, you demorph, are yeah. you your? Are you the same person or are you just a new? Well, the reason you're the same person is because your consciousness is connected to all of your forms that mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. So actually, yeah. it doesn't matter if their bodies get destroyed and re- recomposed because right. they have extra bodily consciousness. Yeah, there's that sort of dualism thing. Space. Yeah. That's handy. There were a few other morphing things. This is actually something I was thinking about when we've been talking about, like, what's constructed from DNA in an animal. The fact that when Marco morphs Spawn, the cobra, he has his venom sacs, even though Spawns were removed. Like, that's, that's like, a core piece of, like, morphing, how morphing works. Like, it did regenerate that, which, Mm -hmm. again, leads to some questions. Like, why were they so concerned about the tactical officer's tail uh, in book 18, if he could probably morph and remove that, like would surgery to remove venom sacs work differently than like an injury like that? Wait, sure. Do their mean... tonsils grow back? Yeah. Do they they, can the animals <laughs> get their tonsils out? I mean, they can once. And <laughs> then no, again. no, they and can lots again. of times. Yeah. What about like their appendix? Yeah. What happens huh. to their tattoos? You could almost imagine that there's, all this potential with morphing that hasn't mm. been unlocked. 
And that what you're doing is you're sort of going back to your default view of yourself. But if you, you could maybe change your view of yourself with some mental effort. So if you know that your tail has been cut off, you, that's like a really traumatic thing that you aren't going to be able to get out of your mental picture. Maybe if he underwent, you know, some sort of visualization therapy, he would then be able to morph his tail back into existence if he hadn't died. Right. Hmm. Uh, I have one more morphing thing. Great. Which is, this is the first time in a very long time uh, when the morphs have been super gross. Oh, goody. <laughs> Are you going to read it? So gross. It's amazing. I didn't even bother writing it down because I knew you guys would have oh, it. Oh, yeah. I've got it. I've got three different ones. Which one do you want first? Shall I take them in order? I don't know. As long as you have this scrunch paragraph. <laughs> I do. Let's go with that one first. So this is, Marco has uh, acquired the cobra. The first thing that he notices was his arms and legs were withering. Not just shrinking, withering. Like if you took a strip of paper and put it in the edge of a fire in the fireplace. It doesn't quite burn, it just sort of withers. That's just cool. No, it's not. (laughs) Uh, You're looking at your arms and they have skin and muscle and hair, fingernails on the end, fingers on the end, fingernails, and all of that seems to crumple and weaken and shorten and shrivel. Gross. My arms are little twigs poking out from the trunk of my body. My legs were thinning and stretching, all muscle gone, my feet gone. I heard the eerie sound of my own bones turning watery and disappearing. I literally felt the sagging of my internal organs as they sort of lay there, unsupported by the usual bone and muscle. I could hear a faint scrunch as my spine extended out, forcing its way down one of my withered legs. And then all at once, the other leg whipped around like a fast-action ivy or something. It whipped around the leg with my spine in it and melted together to form a tail. I'm now, sorry, that's just cool. It just is. No, it's so gross! <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. He says, now here's the gross part, which is not true. All of that was the gross part. <laughs> According to Marco, the gross part is... All of this becoming tubular, he still had his normal head. <laughs> his That's normal just funny. Size. That is just funny. I love this. I really like the advice he gives. He's like, then at last my head began to change. It was a relief. I mean, either be a human or be a snake. Don't be a little of both. Just like, remember that, kids. <laughs> just choose either human or I snake. I thought this was maybe commentary on David. <laughs> wow, harsh. <laughs> I also love, before you do more gross morphing stuff, I really love the uh, description of being a snake a lot more than I was expecting. Because yes. the snake can sense uh, temperature and has a has this amazing, like, cold lizard brain. Because mm-hmm. um, I think we've gotten, like, frenetic lizard brain and we got, like, powerful alligator brain. But this is just kind of like, I'm just going to sit here until it's time to kill something. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, the temperature sense and the way that he's tasting the air with his tongue really interestingly written. Mm-hmm. I got I got super into the head of the snake. Yeah, I really liked it. It was a really interesting as I say, I mean, I think this is one of those where it's clear she thought a lot about what the new morph was going to be and how they were going to acquire it and and what it was going to feel like. It it felt yeah. like one of the early books in that way. Also, uh one of the first things that he does is uh, eats axe. His <laughs> <laughs> yeah. axe is currently in a spider morph. There's a lot of animorphs trying to eat other animorphs in this book. <laughs> It was very funny. And, but, you know, he stops. He does. Axe, <laughs> Axe says, did you just ingest me? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk more morphing stuff? So the other gross morph, <laughs> and this happens twice, is 
so Marco says it it changed how you morph kind of can change. It's pretty random. Uh, so two times when they morph into birds in this book, the first time is the when they're going in to try and steal the morphing cube. And Marcus says, my fingers stretched out, elongating compared to the rest of my hands and arms. As they elongated, though, they slipped right out of the skin so that they became dry, white bird bone. Ew, Jake said, laughing in disgust. That's something new. So the bare bones, real icky. And then it turns out it happens again later. Can we talk I, about why Jake I'm there? just laughing oh, yeah. because I remembered how they were in this bathroom and then the employee starts banging the door and be like, are you kids doing drugs in there? And and eventually they're like unlocking the door and Jake has to throw his sweatshirt over Marco, who's like mostly bird. And he like, it's my little brother. <laughs> just helping my little brother go to the bathroom. And they're like, what's wrong with his face? And Jake says that he has a beaconoma. Well, he Jake says, uh, and then Marco thought speaks beaconoma. I have beaconoma. Uh, I also I also noted that in the scene when they're in the men's room getting ready to go, uh, Marco says Jake was looking even larger than usual. I also had that note because he's really tall. Okay, so I want to do '90s references, but I also want to talk about which I guess this is also maybe a '90s preference: the decision to have. The new Animorph also be a guy. They started out like close to balance. There were five of them. They cannot mm-hmm, be perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. Fairly typical, if maybe not the best decision to weight it towards the guys. Mm-hmm. Then they added another guy. There was no re- reason Axe had to be a guy, except that apparently all Andalites are men because we've never met a woman. <laughs> but then it, it was very unbalanced. It was four and two. Then they add another guy. They add a white guy, mm-hmm. which was an interesting choice. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. I also don't like it, but I sort of feel like I can't, like, I can't give my take <laughs> knowing what happens in the next book. But I just, I felt I needed to register well, that. Well, let's talk about what, how would the book be different if David was Julia, but otherwise the same person. Marco would definitely have hit on her. Probably would have alienated her for more reasons than just Yeah, I'm not awkward. sure that it would be possible to alienate anyone more than he alienated David. But oh, like, I'm sure Marco No, you're right. It's Marco. He's very yeah. capable. You're correct. How would you feel about Julia after murdering that crow? I would also think that she was a sociopath. <laughs> it is easier, I think, to cut female characters slack. But, like, also, maybe, actually, maybe I'm going to take that back. I feel like we tend to automatically assume female characters are nicer, but then it makes them more hateable if they act in ways that, like, we would accept in a male character. That's what I was going to say. They w- she would be judged much more harshly for a lot of the actions that David takes, like using a BB gun to shoot at birds that are breaking into your house and having a cat named Megadeth and a It's true, spawn. because before you'd be like, oh, you know, boys will be boys a little bit. Like, yeah. BB gun, okay, but like... Right. I, I think if the character was imagined as female, the types of things that she would do that were annoying to the other Animorphs wouldn't be the same. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Right. But Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, in terms of the his personality and how it bounces, like, is is David like any of the other Animorphs? He's Rachel. Yeah, so is like... I was gonna say, I feel like he, I mean, he doesn't joke the way Marco does, but he's kind of snide in the same way that Marco is. Yeah, and he's got Rachel's leg, let's go for it kind of attitude in some ways it seems like and i feel that we could not have two warriors not that i know what david's gonna turn out to be i feel like he he clashes with marco they i think they are similar in a lot of ways i think if he were female he would clash more with rachel it's hard yeah i wonder i just i wonder that was the only that was the only thought that occurred to me is that maybe 
if they had this idea for who the person would be, maybe it would be too much like Rachel. That's interesting. He's more different yeah. from the other men than he is from Rachel. Mm-hmm. But you but, know, it's yeah. like a weak reason. You, yeah. If you wanted to do, if you wanted to do, animorphs have trouble onboarding a new person. You could have come up with a different. You know, like yeah, and she could have had trouble with Rachel. I mean, that could have been enough of a reason, yeah, exactly. to yeah. have the conflict. Yeah. In the book. and like, and like, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's also like they wanted to tell this story around book twenty, and they're like, okay, so we'll think about who Marco would not get along. Yeah, with. Yeah, right. right. They didn't so want like, to wait like, if they started two books it for a Rachel. Book. Right. If they yeah. started it two books from now with Rachel, then maybe mm-hmm. it would have been a lot more of a reason to have it be Julie instead of David. I'm glad you brought this up because now that you brought it up, I feel like there will be more to say about it. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Julia. The uncreated anamorph. <laughs> it's another fanfic that we can create. <laughs> this is maybe a tangent that we don't need to go down. <laughs> what would have happened if they had tried to recruit Melissa Chapman either now or in book two? Would it? Would any of these same issues have come up? I mean, there is the danger of like, yeah, Chapman, like Mr. Chapman, is working super hard to keep her from being a controller, but like at any point that could... she's in extra danger because her parents yeah. are, and it makes a lot of logical sense to. Just but in make terms her of who she too. is. Like we don't, I guess we don't know enough about yeah, her personality, Rachel. but she seems to be a kind of gentle, quiet type from how Rachel described her. So it, I, I suspect she would like clash overtly a lot less. And I think if they had tried to onboard her, well, I guess they didn't have the box in book two. Like if they had tried to onboard her earlier, I think it would have been there would have been less of an obstacle. Like now they're all kind of battle hardened in a way mm-hmm. that like right. a new person is going to be excluded from. Right. Yeah, I guess the way that it would work is, like, we recruit Melissa Chapman, but it's, like, the mission is to destroy her father, and that's, like, oh. where the tension comes from, oh, you know, no. like, there's, yeah. there would have to be some kind of, like, more... Like, if they destroy Chapman and leave Melissa, like, I guess if they could destroy both her parents and leave her, like, orphaned, then, like, they're like, well, I guess we need to... Recruiting her before a mission to destroy her father would just be cruel. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's, like, they need her on, they need the inside. Oh, right? <laughs> so oh what a terrible reason to do it. Oh. That would be really bad. Okay. Do we have other things to say? Do about... we want to talk about the, the summit thing at all? Or should we just leave that because it's unresolved? I would like to talk very briefly about it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, only because a thing I find entertaining about this summit. So it's kind of the G8. <laughs> except it's the G8 if you like weren't paying that much attention <laughs> to the G8. Right. It's, <laughs> it's a G6. It's, the six countries are... Britain, France, Russia, Japan, Germany, and the United States. What are they talking about, Gray? There's a summit meeting right here in town, in our small Southern California town that has Uh everything. uh The presidents or prime ministers of Britain, France, Russia, Germany, Japan, and the United States are all coming here to figure out what to do about all the problems in the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) All of them. Gonna solve all of them. Without any actual involvement from anyone from the Middle East. Please to remember that this (laughs) happened in the late 90s. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. But you're missing two of the G8 countries. So this has never been a combination of leaders. That's like formally anything. Yeah, It went from the G8 to the G7, but it's because we kicked Russia out. Like, this is such (laughs) an interesting combination. And then it's all the problems in the Middle East. And then it turns out the real issue, according to Eric, is that one of the leaders is already a controller. At least one, as Cassie points out. Which is really interesting. Either it's the U.S., which is still difficult because Washington's really far from California, or it's some other country where the leader of the country is a controller, but that's not where they're focusing their invasion. Or there's also an invasion focused there. Wait, I just had an amazing idea for a mashup. So (gasps) 
it's possible canonically that the prime minister of the of Britain is a controller while Harry Potter is going to school. <gasps> so, oh my gosh. You're right, it's the 90s. It's the 90s. Oh, that's very it's interesting. It's like late 90s, but still, close enough. Yeah. Wow. So depending on... Right, so Voldemort has just been What's defeated, Vol- yeah. right? Oh, in okay, so Voldemort's gone. You're right. right. Okay. So, but now that the Yurk invasion is ramping up. Do you think that... How do you think... Or Voldemort is involved somehow. <laughs> yeah, so was Voldemort on the side of the controllers, or would he be opposed to the controllers? It's like, he doesn't want to be controlled, he wants to control himself. I think as long as they were not invading the wizarding community, he wouldn't give a shit. That's true, he doesn't really seem to care about muggles. So maybe he just sort of agrees to, like, stay stay out of it. Let them have all the muggles. But the Prime Minister knows about the Wizarding World. That's true. So, But there was a changeover in Prime Minister in 1997, so... Right. Oh, okay. So maybe this is a different Prime Minister. No, because the Prime Minister always gets told about the Wizarding World. Maybe the Wizards found out about the Yurks and then cut off. That's why, that's why we haven't heard about them. So how come the wizards haven't figured out a spell to, like, Expelliarmus the Yurk out of someone's head oh, so and aren't gross. just, like, <laughs> dealing with this problem? Come on, wizarding well, world! Well, this is, again, more fanfic, <laughs> fanfic bait. Yes. So, speaking of the 90s, I really enjoyed how Buffy was on TV when they were in David's house. Yes. Marco's very upset. He forgot to set the VCR. They're missing Buffy. Because if you miss a show in the 90s, you can't just watch it at another time. Yeah. It's terrible. It's true. If you didn't record it, you're doomed. You'll never know what happened that week until it comes on in reruns. Which could be years. Yeah. And I love that it's Buffy. I have observed before that there are tonal similarities between Animorphs and Buffy. Mm. Like the mix of just very silly and funny and also just dealing with incredibly angsty things. Having like kids who are really too young for it. Saving the world in secret. Just really like strong thematic similarities. And I feel like the strengths of the two mm. the two series are very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other 90s references. There's an <laughs> extended clue. Well, that was the 80s. Oh, gosh. Was it really? Really? It was, 85 yeah. was the clue. I don't movie. understand why he's referencing it. It's, <laughs> it's very silly. <laughs> it also invites the obvious question, which Animorph is which <gasps> character from Clue? Tobias the... is Professor Plum. That was my first thing. Yeah, obviously. Okay. All right, so who are the characters? Rachel is Miss Scarlet. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Does that make Cassie Mrs. White? Or are we or not Mrs. doing Peacock. Or We don't oh, have to gender. Oh, there's Mrs. Peacock yeah, yeah, also. Yeah. Okay. So there's green, mustard, plum, plum scarlet, scarlet, white, peacock. So it's Colonel Mustard. Mm-hmm. Is the He seems like a military leader. Maybe he's Jake. I don't really remember the characters that well, so you guys are going to have to. I mostly remember the board game. I think Mr. Oh, green I... is Marco. I think Mr. Okay. Green is Marco. He's the spy. Oh, okay. Professor Plum is definitely Tobias. I might suggest that Jake could also be could also be Mrs. White. <laughs> okay. Why? Keeping everyone together, running things from behind the scenes. Yeah. Hmm, okay. Uh, maybe Axe is Mrs. Peacock because he's blue. <laughs> okay. Well, also, she's um, kind of the fussy one yeah. who, who like is all into like manners and things. So yeah. it's almost like the anti-Axe, but fills the same role in the group. Cassie is Colonel Mustard. Yeah, which. I think Cassie probably has to be Mrs. White and yeah. Jake is Colonel Mustard. Cassie does a lot of like keeping them together, yeah. not in an official way. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, <laughs> LMS is the butler. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but which one is David? Which one is David? David is... Mr. Body. <gasps> <laughs> How could Just you? Just about to say the other characters who come into that movie are... <laughs> 
The well, singing yeah. tele- Dave is the singing telegram. Singing telegram. Okay, great. The singing telegram. Definite character similarities there. Definitely see David being a singing telegram. Amazing. He'd be great at it. I really... Okay, speaking of singing, I really love the thing where, you know, they're doing the cube thing. And Cassie says, wait, shouldn't there be some kind of ceremony or something? And Marco's like, like, what? You want us to all join hands and sing the Star Spangled Banner? No, I don't know all the words, Cassie said. With a sly grin, she added, we could sing Mbop. <laughs> Which so not only is a hilarious 90s reference, but also there are so many words to Mbop and no one knows them. There are words in Mbop? See, you know who doesn't know them is Kay Applegate and Michael Grant. <laughs> they assumed the song only has the word Mbop in it. Which is the joke oh, they're trying to make. why? Okay. Yes. See, I just assumed that Cassie actually knew all the words to Mbop. No, that interpretation works. But I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. You think she just assumed... Because yeah, you hear it on the radio and it's just... Mbop. I've heard that song. Over and over again. Yeah. yeah, no, there are verses with, like, very fast words. The other... So there's a 90s reference about a Volkswagen commercial with some theme song that I don't know, but Marco seems to be singing. You know, the one that goes da-da-da-da. Yeah, I, I, of course I you know, know that, obviously. Yes. I, I didn't look it up. The best, my favorite 90s reference is this, this conversation where they're, uh, they're on the blade ship. Jake says, bail. We can't just demorph in the president's helicopter. The president won't be alone. And even if he's straight, others may not be. There could be a shootout. So, David said boldly, I thought we were supposed to kick butt. Not on our own president, duh, I said. Not an objection that he would raise today. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh my god. I have another. I have another thing that isn't quite a '90s reference. Uh huh. When he makes up his alien language, um, yeah, talking to David's father, he's not making it up. He says "Platu Barada Nikto," which is a reference to the classic sci-fi movie "The Day the Earth Stood Still," which what? is like the inexplicable thing that the aliens say. But I like to think that this is not. K.A. Applegate having all the Animorphs know they're like movies they're familiar with from the 60s, (laughs) but is actually a reference to the movie Army of Darkness starring Bruce Campbell, where Bruce Campbell playing the character of Ash trapped in the Middle Ages with a bunch of living skeletons has to get the Necronomicon. And in order to get it without things going wrong, he has to say these three magical infernal words. And he says, Klaatu, Barada, mumble, 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 because he forgets. <laughs> and so I like to think that Marco watched Army of Darkness, which came out in like Wait, 92, so what, 93. What does that mean? It, they're nonsense words. So in The Day the Earth Stood Still, they're sort of like nonsense alien words oh, that like okay. are said by the alien person as like a greeting, but never okay. get explained. Wow. And then it's now like a, a reference. So Ted, did you just know this? Uh, I knew it was from Army of Darkness. Okay. And it was All from... Right. That it was referencing something else, but I had to look up which okay, classic right. sci-fi movie it was. I say your your knowledge here is impressive. You're a veritable Tobias over here. <laughs> Two other small um, '90s references. They talk about Barney the dinosaur. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, as a comparison to one of Mister Three's morphs, but this one isn't going to sing. Uh, I love you. You love me. <laughs> Can I sidebar into that morph? Can I describe it? <laughs> sure, it is a purple sure. chest-faced belly-mouthed monster with four bloody <laughs> harpoon arms. Called a Dule Fansa. But so Visser 3 says some weird things in this scene that is again yes. like Visser 3's plans don't make any sense. So, first, and now I'm like hearing what you were saying to me earlier again. Visser 3 is just like totally Bond villains all over the place in the scene. He's like, he like kidnaps David's father and he's like, tell me where the morphing cube is. I can pay you with your father's life if you tell me. Which is like just obviously restrain and infest David, right? It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And then later he's like, I'm not a patient, Yerk. I'll have the blue box, and I'll destroy you all. 
But if I get the blue box now, I may decide to destroy you some other time. <laughs> that was a great line. Which is, doesn't make any sense at all, because they should be pressing their advantage. But I'm wondering if this is like, since book nine, Visser 3 is just totally afraid of fighting the Animorphs, right? <laughs> this is kind of what we are talking about before. He's like, just maybe give me the blue box, and then I'll run away, because I really want to run away right now. Although, I mean, he could just be bluffing. Yeah. I realize he's not an Andalite, really. But I think there's, a, maybe it's just an alien sense of humor. Or an alien cluelessness that comes across to us as humor, where he says, Then this human will be separated from his head. I understand that's usually fatal in humans. <laughs> he's getting better at like, the repartee. He's definitely uh, not unsure. He's done it enough. He knows it's fatal. Mm-hmm. There was one other... I, I know the sidebar is continuing, but there was one other <laughs> stupid Mr. 3 decision, which is this whole thing about being able to capture Marine 1 without anyone noticing and then acquire the president... Seems strictly worse than just infesting the president. Or like do both. Right. There's no reason why you couldn't put a yerk in the president's head at the end of this book. And yeah. like, Visitor 3 should just do that. Yeah, there's a lot of things Visitor 3 should just do that we would do if we were Visitor 3. We would. As we've discussed. We would be better anyway, at were there Was there another 90s reference? Oh, there was a Lieutenant Sibowitz reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's one other thing that Marco said that was great um, when he describes what yerks and controllers are like. He says, you're the Muppet and they're the hand, which <laughs> yes. is the most succinct and perfect description, description of what a yerk is. I also had a moment where I was like, it's a good thing snakes don't get whiplash. Because <laughs> Marco latches onto Zing. that herpageer and then he talks about how he's just whipping him back and forth. I and I'm it. like, wow, that would it. be really bad if it. they got whiplash. That reminds me that at our last recording, Ted, you stopped me from looking at the inside picture mm-hmm. in the physical book. Yeah. Before I made my prediction. And it's a good thing you did because the inner picture of the physical book is of Marco as a snake, as the cobra, under the bed in David's room. There's a baseball and a baseball mitt. And outside the bed are two, what look like to me, dinosaur legs. (laughs) And had I seen this, I might have assumed that actually they have learned how to (gasps) remorph. Into a T Rex, <laughs> but it turns out no, they are Hortbegier T Rex legs, not T Rex T Rex legs, and therefore my prediction would have been the main uh, reason. I'd I'd like to um, give you a sample of what the quotes are. I don't know if you've ever looked at these after you've read a book, but this is the kind of thing that could catch your eye when you're reading the okay. opening the cover. This is no snake in the grass. Dot dot dot. We need to bail. <laughs> oh, no. I said to Jake and Rachel, "Where is the stupid box?" Rachel wondered. Dot dot dot. Yeah, here's the, I'm not a patient yerk. I'll have the blue box and I'll destroy you all. Only David knows where the box is. David, listen to me. I'm on your side. We have to rescue that box. Right? It's like the entire plot of the first half of the book. I would have guessed. Why do they feel they need to give us this information? Is this going to make us want to read it? Like, I'm so sorry. I just looked at the back and it spoiled something. (laughs) Tell us. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't even read it, but at the very bottom of the back description, there is in very big black letters, part one of a trilogy. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, I mean, you knew that they didn't finish things at the end of this book. I did. At least it saves you the frustration of reading the next book and also seeing the to be continued. <laughs> it's true. Which I was a little I'm worried about. Real <laughs> Very annoyed by that. So speaking of the next book, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, so can I look at the cover? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. We're not going to start changing the rules on you, probably. Well, I mean... Do you just feel guilty for having seen the back cover? And now you're like, I'm not allowed to look at anything else? I will also say, since you saw the trilogy thing, I I will annotate my original description of how I read these books, which is that I remember seeing marketing that was like, 
there's going to be a new Animorph, and there's like, welcome to this trilogy of books to introduce him. So like, that was why I went into it with like, I knew already before I opened the book that I was going to hate it. Okay. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it was like, like get ready for a, a new Animorph. animorph. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want a new Animorph. It's going to throw the numbering system off. <laughs> yeah, it's going to mess everything up. Um, so the next book is The Threat, and it is a Jake book. Jake is morphing it into a golden retriever on the cover. Is a very good boy. It's a very bad morph. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. Look, it's not as bad. It's not as bad as this beautiful Marco snake face. It is not as bad as that. It's not as bad as that. You're right. Now that I look yeah, up between that's the two just of sort of bad. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, the uh, little subtext is the newest animorph has a secret, and it's not good. <gasps> Four ellipses. Um, <laughs> as usual. As usual. So, okay. Um, it is the second part of this trilogy. So the two plots that haven't been closed yet are this summit with the world leaders mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to the president or whoever the man is who has the slash on his shoe that they think is the president and two, uh, what they're going to do about David. Mm-hmm. So the president thing Maybe they're going to find a way to break up the summit so that it doesn't take place or doesn't take place in the way that it's supposed to, okay. such that the Yerks cannot infest anyone else. How would they do that? Um, Axe is going to cause a disruption. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'll take it. Okay. Which... I'm just going to start calling them distractions with an Strax. axe in there. Yeah. Nice. Distractions. Which world leader of the six is currently a controller? It's 1997. Russia. All right. Mm, okay. Okay, and then the other one is uh, what to do about David. David has a secret, and it's not good. That is a huge surprise. Is the secret that he is a psychopath? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he just never wanted anyone to How find out. How did they out. find out, though? <laughs> they talked to him for more than five minutes, which they have not yet done. Psychopaths are very smooth, so we know Marco isn't one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so, all right, um, the secret is... Um, he is keeping from them that he has been in contact with maybe his parents <gasps> and that they are, of course, trying to find him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have to figure out how to keep him safe, I guess, and also keep their secret. What is the threat? David. David is <laughs> Okay. Harsh. <laughs> well, shouldn't have invited a psychopath along. <laughs> what do Just you think is going to happen? Picnic. Okay, so... We can't ask you, like, how do you think it's going to end? Because you know it's not going right. to end in the next book. So what do you think will be Ooh. the end of Act 2 cliffhanger? Ooh. Yes, good question. Okay. Or, like, where could you see it going? Zig- if it's going to zig for book two, where is it going to zag for book three? Like, so, Yeah, I wonder if they're going to have to try to rescue David from the Yerks. Like, maybe he gets captured but isn't immediately infested. Right, so the secret is more like he knows their secret. That's the threat, yeah. And yeah. now they can't just let him go. They have to rescue him. Right. right. That's right. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, Zag back is the what happens to David after he's been captured. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I suspect that he does not end up like the singing telegram girl and just get shot on the doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you don't have to predict that yet because yes. we don't make you predict... Good. More I will than one book keep that in advance. mind, though, as we're reading the next one, that they're going to have to do something about David. It's actually a lie. We did make you predict the ending last time, but, you know, yeah. usually we don't. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I think there's going to have to be another... 
Like the the plot of this summit is very important, and therefore I do not think it will be given enough weight. Uh, I think that they will... Hand wave it. Yeah, they'll be like, and then the summit was over, and then we moved on to another caper that will last for a full book, but half of book two and oh, half of okay. book three. Interesting. Um, that that will be not given its due weight. I hope I'm wrong, because it <laughs> seems important. Yep. Sounds good. Amazing. Okay. Well, yeah, looking forward to finding out how right you are. Book Next 21. Time on The Threat <laughs> and Morphology. If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. Maybe I won't cut any of this. Maybe this will be the first raw anamorphology episode. Everyone wants to hear that. I know they do.